I pulled up this this sermon that I did. Um, it's not actually a sermon that I've preached here. It's actually part of uh, something that I take uh, groups of people through on leadership. You know, um, it, it's it's interesting because in the Western Church, in the Church in America, you know, we often look to our pastor as the leader, right? And then maybe maybe even a Sunday school teacher, a small group leader. Um, we we think of uh, our church board members. Um, you know, the, the SDMI president, the NMI president, which we also need to be in prayer today. Kathy Schubert, our NMI president, I forgot to mention this during prayer time, but uh, I got a text right before church started that said, um, pray for us. Uh, we're on our way back home, but the transmission died. <laughs> it's probably covered by the warranty, but uh, we're bringing a loaner car home and we're not going to know everything till tomorrow. So be in prayer for for uh, Kathy and, and AJ, and uh, I believe Chris Hackworth is with them as well. And so um, be in prayer for them th today too. But, I, you know, we also think of our NYI president, JP, or the SDMI chair, Judy. We, we think of all these people as being leaders, but here's the thing. God has called each and every one of us to be ministers of the gospel. Did you know that? If you read the Bible and, and you look at the places where when Jesus was getting ready to, to go after he had resurrected from the grave, if you begin to look and you look at this great, we call it the great commission, but he gave it to everybody. Go and make disciples. Um, Dallas Willard in his book, The Great Omission, argues that being a Christian means being a disciple of Jesus. In other words, you cannot be a Christian and not be a disciple of Jesus. The Greek word for disciple is doulos, which means slave or servant. All believers are called to be disciples and therefore are called to be ministers, diakonos, and to be engaged in service, diakonia, in the New Testament, the concept of this is applied universally to everyone who is a member of the Christian community. In the New Testament, minister never signifies ecclesial office. Rather, it refers to a leader's function of serving the church. Therefore, Christians, as ministers of the gospel, are called to serve Christ and the church. This is the vocation of all of us. So I want you to turn into your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to look at God's word this morning a little bit and see what Peter has to tell us. Now remember, Peter is more than likely in prison. In fact, he's probably in prison under Nero at this time awaiting execution. So think about that for just a minute because some of the things that he says in his two little letters are very significant. I've been going through First uh, Peter. We just got into Second Peter in, in just recently in our daily devotions. If you don't see those, go on to Facebook, uh, 
look up RCN, Richland Church of the Nazarene, and like, like us and follow us, and then it'll send you a reminder every time I go live. We're also working, by the way, Don's working with me, Don Jepson and Bob Lover, all these people back here in the booth you don't see on Sunday mornings. They work very hard to make that happen, and they're also going to get me onto YouTube, our YouTube channel soon. So hopefully within the next couple of weeks, hopefully by, I'm thinking sometime around November, the first week of November, we'll have it all solidified, and then I'll be in both places. For those of you who don't use Facebook, um, you can still find us, though. You go to the webpage, richlandnaz.org. You click on the media tab, and you can find the YouTube and the Facebook page right there, and it'll take you right there on your computer. You can see all these devotions. So 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 2, says this, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, you say, Pastor Dan, he's talking to pastors there. And I'm going to tell you, yes, I agree that he is, Peter is directly. But if we take Christ's mandate that we are all to be disciple-making makers, right? In other words, I need to be discipling someone as I am being discipled. Jesus was the best example of this. Jesus repeatedly told the disciples, I'm not bringing you anything that I didn't get from the Father, Oh, wait a minute here. You mean Jesus had to be a disciple? Yes. Jesus had to spend time in prayer. Remember, look through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they all repeatedly say, Jesus went up the hillside to pray as was his custom. Oh, he had a habit of going and spending time with the Father. Do you understand that Jesus is our perfect example, but he is also the example of what it means to be a disciple? He was a disciple before he made disciples. Don't you know that I would be about my father's business as he sat in the synagogue and learned, right? And then he, he began to speak with the teachers and the scribes and the elders of the law, you know, all these guys, and they were all really impressed. And Mary and Joseph kind of freaked out a little bit because they had left the Savior of the world a couple days ago and not realized they had done that. How many of you parents, by the way, just quick survey, how many of you parents have ever left your kids somewhere? Come on, be honest. Yeah, 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 we all do it, Right? Now, I get it. Mary and Joseph are entrusted with Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, and they're probably a day or two out before they realize it. Can you imagine that conversation? Oh, that just kind of, it made me feel better as a parent to know that that, you know, right? Right? But here, Jesus, God, Peter is, is, is uh, speaking to us. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us through Peter. And he's telling us that we have to be shepherds of God's flock that is under our care. Do you realize that each and every one of you here have a flock? Did you know that? I bet you didn't know that. If you're a parent, you have a flock. If you're a grandparent, if you're an aunt and an uncle, you have kind of a built-in flock. Um, I love, Ed, how you put that together about your neighbors. That's your flock. 
When you said something about not being a Nazarene church within 30 miles or something, I said, well, there, I just said real quietly, well, there will be. There will be. There's a church of people all around you. The people that are your family, the people that you know, the people, there is a flock all around us. The people we meet at the gas station, the people that we see at Walmart and at Costco and at Home Depot and all these different places where we go down at the grocery store over at the post office. The guy who comes to fill your propane, right? You have a flock. Each and every one of us have a flock. And the 23rd Psalm, if you look at the 23rd Psalm, oh my goodness, it gives us a really awesome picture of the good shepherd. But if we look at that, and we know that, we know that scripture, we're very familiar with that scripture. We know that it's all about the sheep, right? If we look at the good shepherd and understand in the Bible that Jesus is the good shepherd, we see he lays down his life for the sheep. That was his calling. What is yours? We all have a calling. Dr. Maddox, in, in, his, in his book, uh, God Still Calls, writes this. Some Christians are called to serve a specific function in the ministry as non-ordained ministers. They utilize their gifts and their passions for a specific God-called purpose. This missional calling or call to full-time Christian service may include a specific function, such as serving as a music director in a parachurch ministry, at a camp, as a Christian school teacher, a nonprofit agency position. The missional calling can include a wide range of full-time religious or Christian work, but it does not include ordained ministry. You know what, folks? I think we all need to re-examine what we're called to do. What's the ministry that I am called for the flock God has given me? What is it that I do? I got to tell you a story about Bobby and I. Um, both of us, she grew up in the Nazarene Church in Wenatchee. Um, by the way, if you happen to see, we posted some pictures on Facebook. We actually brought a pew home. They took their pews out and put chairs in. And so they had put an announcement out on Facebook. And so Bobby and I strapped. Now, I was told that pew was 14 foot long. And I'm pretty sure it was over 21. Because it extended up over the cab of my truck. Now, Bobby and I go to Wenatchee. Her folks live there. And uh, that's where we came back to the Lord at. I had walked away from the Lord um, as a young man. Bobby had walked away as a teenager. And um, Bobby's Aunt Betty and Aunt Hetty but mostly Aunt Betty, uh, nagged us back to church. And I say it that way because even though Aunt Betty has gone on to be with Jesus and she would own it too, she would own it. She would tell you that she did do that. She hounded us. She really did. And so we show up in church, little Nazarene church. I grew up in, some, in Pentecostal churches. Worship is a little bit different in the late 90s in the church of the Nazarene versus what they were in the assembly churches. The assembly churches I had grown up with, kind of like what we have here. Nazarene churches were mostly just organ, piano, and a song leader, you know? And uh, that's what we experienced. And so I had a little bit of a struggle going, Lord, what are we doing? You know, I, I don't get this. I don't fit in here. I don't, I don't feel right here. I don't this. And you know what? It was really interesting because the Holy Spirit said to me this, Dan, 
if you can't worship me like this, you never worshiped me like that. And I went, oh. You know how the Holy Spirit kind of has those ways of kind of, I don't know, I always talk about being hit upside the head with the two by four, you know? Uh, those he touched me moments, you know? Okay, God, you and me, we, we got this now, right? But we came back to the church in Wenatchee and, and uh, we wanted to do big things. Oh, Lord God, you know, we want to go do something big for you. Send us, you know what? You could even send us to Africa, make us missionaries, do whatever. And God kept saying, um, you see that backyard? Well, yeah. The one that's fenced in at my house? Yeah. He says, you see those three little kids in that backyard? Uh, yeah. That's your mission field. Would you please go be a missionary for me? Oh, but God, we just want to do something really, really, really big for you. We want to go places. We want to, we want to bring people to Christ. We want to do this. We want to do that. And God said, thanks, Dan. I'm so glad you're willing to go. I've called you to this mission field right here. It's right out your back door. Would you please please go to that mission field for me. And I don't know how many different times I prayed about that and prayed about that and prayed about that until finally, till finally I heard what God was saying. I had a flock. It was my children. If we read the, the 23rd Psalm and we think about what Christ did for us and what, what Christ does for us as a flock, are we willing to do that for the flock that he's given us? Are we willing to, to set aside those things? Are we willing to lay down our lives? Most of us think it's great that the good shepherd uh, makes us lie down in green pastures. You know, when you read that in the 23rd Psalm, doesn't that sound so warm and inviting and wonderful? But if you think about the phrase, makes me lie down. And if you understand sheep, okay, sheep, once they get up, and they get going, do you know why they need a shepherd? Here's why. Because they'll eat this little clump of grass, and then without pulling their heads up, they'll move on to this little clump of grass, and then this one, and then this one, and they keep eating, and they keep eating, but they never do this. They never know where they're at. And they will keep doing, keep moving and keep eating, and keep moving and keep eating, oftentimes unless the shepherd stops them and makes them lie down. Now think about that for just a minute. There are sometimes some hard things that we need to learn. There are sometimes some things that we need to experience. There are times when we need to stop and we need to lie down. had a friend of mine who uh, absolutely loves doing youth ministry, wants to, wants to do all sorts of different things in youth ministry, and has this real special knack. Okay, I'm going to say it's not even that. I'm going to say it's a spiritual gift because this person loves junior high students. I'm telling you, now, I got to spend this last week uh, on Wednesday. I went to Liberty Christian. I got to do their chapel and I had their junior high kids first, the seventh and eighth graders, right, Lori? Is that who it was? Seventh and eighth graders. And then nine through 12, we had to do split them up 
into groups to do chapel. It was so awesome and everything. But I've never been one to really well connect with junior high students. And this friend of mine, it's like, she's a junior high student magnet. I mean, these kids just come flocking to her. It's like, how do you, and how do you connect? And because you got to realize junior high students, that sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, that middle school place, that's kind of a difficult place to be. I think Joel and Lindsay Cortina doing bridge. God bless you, Lindsay. It takes a special gift to be able to, well, first off, really stand to be around junior high kids, you know, because they're in that weird, awkward stage where they're not kids, but they're not quite teenagers yet, you know. They're not, they're not little anymore, but they're not quite mature enough to handle certain things. That's why we call it middle school. That's why we call it bridge, right? They're just in that weird, oh my goodness. When you have a person, um, you know, that wants to do youth ministry and they want to do all this other stuff, but they find that junior high ministry is where they fit, I would encourage you to kind of shepherd them in that way, right? That was a tough conversation to have because this person wanted to do it all. And I'm like, yeah, but look at this flock. You've got a whole flock here of sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. Oh my goodness. It's the flock that we're called to. It may not be the one we think about. You think about a modern day shepherd um, and uh, they take care of lambs um, and how they do this. Think about this for a minute. Um, You know, lambs get fleas and ticks and fleas and ticks cause sickness. And so what do they do? Well, they don't just go down to, you know, Petco and buy a little flea collar for every lamb. No, they actually have what they call a flea dip. And so they put this stuff in the water, the, this medicine in the water, and then you lead a lamb up to this trough. Usually there's like, it's like a, a, a trough of water that's kind of in the ground. You lead a lamb up to the trough and you dunk it in the water. Now I want to ask you, how many shepherds do you think speak sheep ease? Yeah, that's what I thought. Zero. Zero shepherds can speak sheepese. Do you ever wonder what that lamb might be thinking when the shepherd who has taken care of him all of his life since he's known it, all of a sudden dunks him and holds him under the water? Oh, and they don't just do it once. They don't just do it twice. They do it three times. Isn't that interesting? That's very interesting. The lamb is probably, the, what in the world just happened to me? In fact, if you ever watch this, Google it on Facebook, or Google it, just Google it. You'll find a YouTube video of, of them doing this. And the lamb gets up and they get out and they just shake themselves off and they just kind of stand there in bewilderment. What just happened to me? And the shepherd can't explain and the, the sheep can't understand and, and all of this. You know what? Sometimes... That's what it's like when you have a flock. Sometimes that's what it is. We got to meet the sheep where they are. We got to not be frustrated with their fears or deficiencies, but we've got to meet them and we got to lead them by the quiet and still waters. And sometimes we've got to make them lie down in green pastures. Let's hang on a minute here. We've been talking about some really deep 
things. Let, let's take it easy this week. Let's lie down in a, grease, in a green pasture somewhere, you know? We've got to meet people where they are. The good shepherd meets us where we are, and he loves us so much that he won't leave us where we are when he meets us. But when he does meet us, he leads us by still waters so that we can understand what he needs us to understand. Paul talked about it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under, my, under the law, I become, became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having a law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Think about this for a moment. Jesus became one of us. He became one of us. Why? So that he could meet with us, so that he could live with us, so he could be that example that we needed for him to be. One person once asked me this question, um, and I was kind of, I got to tell you, I was kind of offended by this question. I don't get offended by a lot of questions, but I got offended by this question. And, I'll, and I'll, in a minute, I'll explain why. This person posed this question and said, is the Bible enough? And I kind of, I, I was a little offended. And then I got to thinking about it. I didn't give an answer right away. I got to thinking about it. I thought, you know what? In my logic, if I was God, I don't know that I would use the, I don't know that I would do that. I think I just wouldn't have put the serpent in the garden. And so I happened to give that answer. Now, one of the guy who asked the question was one of my teachers in, in Bible college, okay? So, so, so I got to give this answer back. I said, you know what? I think if I had to do it, I, I think I'd leave the serpent out of the garden. Don't you think life would have been much easier? without the serpent in the garden. I think it would have been a whole lot easier without the serpent in the garden. And I wrote this whole wonderful, you know, three or four paragraphs on why I would have left the serpent out of the garden and then you wouldn't need the Bible, right? Oh, yeah. But his question was, is the Bible enough? And I, and I came to this conclusion at the end of that class that the Bible is what I need. And sometimes there's a difference. The Bible is what I need to be in right relationship with God the Father through Jesus the Son. Everything in the Old Testament points us to Jesus in the New Testament. You guys, you got to read them both. We got to have both. We got to know both. We have to be able to lead people with what they need. And the Bible is what we need because it's what? It's God's word. It's our example. We get to see living word. We get to see Jesus on the pages. To lead like a shepherd 
We have to be able to look at things and be able to say, I love you. This is what you need. You know, that's not always easy. It's not always fun. Sometimes it's like being the guy who dunks that poor little lamb underneath the water three times. And then they get up and they shake their head off. But it is what they need, isn't it? It is. To lead like a shepherd, we've got to think like a shepherd. We've got to be all about the sheep. We've got to be willing to be misunderstood. And we've got to meet people where they are. I'm going to fast forward through some of this because I'm looking at the time. Give me just a second. You know, some of you out there are going, Pastor Dan, this is really great. If we were all pastors, if we were all Sunday school teachers, if we were all board members, if we were all this, this would be just such a great time together. But I have to tell you something. We're all disciples, which means we all need to be disciple makers, right? We don't just want to go make more disciples. We want to go make more disciple makers, that's what Jesus really said. Go teach them everything that I taught you. Teach them to obey everything that I taught you. And by the way, while you're doing that, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. My good friend Hal Perkins explained that to me one time because I thought, man, you know, Jesus was really up on this water baptism thing. And, and Pastor Hal Perkins had said one time, he said, I don't know that that was really about water baptism. I said, oh, really? Why not? And he said, to baptize somebody means to immerse them into this. Immerse them into the Father and immerse them into the Son. Immerse them into the Holy Spirit. Everywhere that you go, the Spirit is within you, working in you. And if you allow him, he will also work through you. Oh, wait a minute. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a Sunday school teacher. I'm not a small group leader. I'm not a board member. I'm not, a, I'm not this. I'm not that. You know what, folks? I got news for you. When you were asking yourselves about this and you ask yourself this, am I really qualified for this job? I want you to remember some people in the Bible. I want you to remember Joseph. Little boy, had lots of dreams. Had some brothers who didn't like those dreams. Got stuck in a hole and sold into slavery. What was the end result of his story? Oh, yeah. The entire nation of Israel was saved from starvation. He was just a little boy. Then there is, is David, the son of Jesse. Now, you kind of remember the story. Samuel comes. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Samuel comes and says, I'm here to anoint the next king. And Jesse does what? He runs out his best and his brightest. And he brings them. And what does he do? No, not this one. No, not that one. Jesse, are you sure this is all your sons? A couple times he asked that. And then comes the runt of the litter. That's David. David is the runt. When you look at the description they give you in the Old Testament of who David was, he was the smallest, the, the scrawniest. He, he really had no physical stature. He was the runt of the litter. 
He was not the best and the brightest. And what was the end result of that story? David becomes king. Oh, and from his lineage, do we remember this? <laughs> Through his lineage comes who? Oh, Jesus, the Messiah. A young man named Daniel, taken from his home. He was, he was raised in the, in the most godless environment in a different land, a different culture, um, completely counter to his culture. And God works through his obedience to do what is needed to be done for the children of Israel. And don't forget what he did. We sing about, we're getting ready to, you know, Advent's just going to be in a few weeks. <laughs> is, that, is that, you realize this is the last Sunday in October? Oh my goodness, it's almost November. Right? Oh my goodness. Where is time gone? Bobby and I will have been here. Uh, we're, we've been here 10 months. It's almost been a year. I can't believe that. But think about Daniel for a minute. We sing about these wise men that show up to worship. We sing it. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We traverse afar. Right? We sing that. If we don't, we should. Right? We do sing that at, at Advent time or at Christmas time. Do you realize that that's because of Daniel? Several hundred years before Jesus is born, Daniel is in Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And that dream, he says, okay, I am tired of these yes men around me telling me all this, that, and that. They're just telling me what I want to hear. So, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have you people, you have to first tell me what my dream was, and then you have to interpret it, or I'm going to kill you all. I'm going to execute the whole order of priests that I have. And they were Zoesterian priests. They worshiped the stars, okay? They weren't just astronomers. Remember, astronomers chart the stars and measure the stars and look at the stars. But astrologers is who they were. I know that's kind of shocking. God can work through anyone, right? And he will. And so finally, after, after pretty much everybody had been gone through, uh, the king sent for Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar sent, they had to round them all up. And Daniel says, give me a day. Just give me a day. I just found out about this. Give me a day. Let me pray and I will. And what happens? God tells him what Nebuchadnezzar's dream is. He goes and he tells Nebuchadnezzar and then he supplies what God tells him as the interpretation of the dream because God had given Nebuchadnezzar the dream in the first place. And what happens? That whole entire set of priests was saved. And they had the book of Daniel with them. And so when they see the star rising up in the east and stopping over Bethlehem, what do they do? We know there's a king we know that star is there because of the king, because of what Daniel had taught them. Go to the night that Jesus is born. Who do the angels appear to? Shepherds. You got to realize, shepherds are one step in the story of God. In the story of Bethlehem, in the story of Nazareth, in the story of Jesus' time, shepherds are one step 
above sinners and tax collectors. Tax collectors had a special place. <laughs> they were always, you know, the Bible always says it. Uh, Jesus hung out with sinners and tax collectors. Those poor tax collectors, they got a bad rap from biblical times, right? But shepherds were barely a step above them. And who do the angels go to? No one aspired to be a shepherd. You know, John Deere didn't have a little green and, and yellow uh, toy set for shepherding sheep. You know, you couldn't buy that for your children for Hanukkah. You know, the young runt of David, where was he at when he was? He was taking care of the sheep, right? Shepherds, shepherds were often excluded, by the way, from testifying in legal cases because of their lack of status among the Israelites. Does this make the nativity a little bit more meaningful when we realize who got to come and worship Jesus the night he was born? It was the shepherds. And not only that, but the Bible tells us that as they left that place, they went everywhere telling that they had just seen the Messiah. When you think you're not qualified to be a minister of the gospel, can I please correct your thinking? Will you please realign your thinking to God's word? Because you and I, no matter what our job that makes our money, no matter what our vocation is, because Christ has called us to be one of his children, we have a job which is making disciples. We are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We live it out every day, and from time to time we speak it out of our mouths. Look at the example Jesus gives us. How did he choose his disciples? Did he go around? You guys understand that a Jewish rabbi in Jesus's day did not normally go somewhere to find disciples. If a Jewish rabbi was any kind of a rabbi, he sat under a tree, sat on a rock, did whatever, and taught the people who would come around. And every once in a while, as he asked people questions, he would hear somebody give an answer, and then he would begin to question them more. And as he questioned them more, he was testing to see if they would interpret Scripture the way he interpreted Scripture, and therefore be worthy to be his disciple. Now, for some, they young men, they grew up in the synagogue. They went to their school and they learned the scriptures and the Torah and the Pentateuch and all of these different things. And they memorized the scripture probably by the time they were 10 or 11 years old. And then they tested, were tested, they would test with, with rabbis. Jesus didn't do it that way, did he? Where did Jesus go? Where did Jesus Where did Jesus go to find his disciples? You know, the Pharisees, they were the cream of the crop. We often look down on them, but they were the best of the best. They knew God's word better than anybody else, and they were more disciplined than everybody else. You don't believe me? Look at Paul in the New Testament. What does he say? I am the Jew's Jew. I was born in the right family. I was circumcised on the right day. I did all of these things. I kept the law. I knew everything. 
That was when he was named Saul, and then he meets Jesus and becomes Paul. But Jesus finds fishermen, tax collectors. Oh, Andrew. I mean, Andrew may be only about 12 years old, maybe 13. Little boys. The Pharisees, who were they? Well, they were the cream of the crop. But you know what they constantly wanted to do? They constantly wanted to exclude Jesus. Do you ever wonder if it's because of his method? His method was so different from their method. Hmm. Interesting. Matthew chapter 9 says, When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Who did Jesus hang out with? The well-to-do? No. When I was growing up, there used to be this... Um, uh, Robin Leach had this TV show about the, the, the rich and famous, and they would have yachts and houses and you know, all of this stuff about the rich and famous, the rich. Jesus didn't really care to go there. He hung out with people who nobody wanted to hang out with. And he didn't just hang out with them, but he lived with them in a way that changed them. And do we do that? Do we hang out with people that other people don't want to hang out with? Do we live our lives in a way that people look at us and go, huh, that's different? You see, the thing of it is, is that you may not feel as if you are qualified to be a minister of the gospel, but if you know God's word, he's, he will work in you and through you simply because he's not looking for you to be qualified. He's looking for you to have an open heart to him. Here am I, send me. God is simply looking for open hearts. People who are willing to work with him, not make a name for ourselves, but people who are willing to do the tough work. So let's wrap this up really quick. Some of the tasks in God's kingdom seem large and some seem small. Matthew chapter 25 says this. Again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and trusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his ability. And we know the parable. God has put within you and I this message of love for others. He has entrusted us with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's good news. We're stewards of the good news. I know that that parable is about finances, but you know what? There's something so much more. There's something so much greater than that. There's something so much. And that's the love of Christ. And my question to you this morning, are we burying that? Can I confess to you that there are times when I have buried the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
and I shouldn't have. Are we taking what God has entrusted with us, this wonderful message about his love, and are we being good stewards with that? I pray and I hope that I am. I pray and I hope that from here on out today that we as a church will begin to understand what it means to be able to love God and love others as we love ourselves. That's what leading like a shepherd is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much, Lord, for what you have done in my heart and in my life. Father God, I pray, Lord God, I just pray that you would continue to work in me and through me. Lord God, give us those opportunities. And Father God, bring to us people across our paths where we can show the love of Christ to others. I don't fully understand, God, why you chose to spread your gospel in this way. I have no idea. I know when I get to heaven, my mind is going to be different, and I'm going to understand. I'm going to know as I am known. As you know me, I'm going to know all these things. So, Father God, in between now and then, Lord God, help me to just understand that this is the way that you have chosen and Lord God, that you are going to work in me and through me for those around me. Lord God, we thank you and we praise you for what you've done through this church. Lord God, we thank you and praise you what you've done through the people throughout the, the years of history in the Church of the Nazarene that, that made Richland Church of the Nazarene even possible. Father God, we want to praise you and thank you in advance for what you're going to do because it's not over. It's not over until you return. And so, Jesus, we have a job to do. Holy Spirit, continue to stir our hearts that we would love others. Lord God, that first we would love you, and then that we would love others as we love ourselves. Help us to lead our little flocks to Jesus. We just pray this in your precious holy name. Amen.